Hello and welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Cañas, and today I'm recording episode, I think, 231 maybe. Uh, today I have with me Cynthia Hardy, CEO of found and founder of Pivot Global Partners. Th uh, Cynthia, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good, Tony. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And I'm, I'm super excited for today's episode because not only is diversity, equity, and inclusion really, really close to my heart, but you've had an incredible insurance career. Uh, so I definitely want to talk about, about, about both things. Uh, but, but first, uh, I, I, we always give the chance to, to give the, the elevator pitch for, for uh, what, what, is, what is Pivot Global Partners. So thank you, Tony, for having me uh, on the show. I appreciate it to talk about insurance, company, my book, and beyond. Pivot Global, uh, quite simply, uh, starts with the premise that people, leaders, organizations can be stuck and need to go in a different direction. Ergo, the pivot. And what do I mean by that? Uh, there is uh, an innovation pivot that we do, a leadership pivot, and an inclusion, equity, and diversity pivot. All recognize that people are a critical component, and we focus on people and process, and we help to, uh, for instance, with innovation. We help establish companies figure out um, how they can harness the innovation out there and bring it in-house, whether it's AI-related or beyond. We help tech companies, insure tech, fintech, healthcare tech, marketing tech, um, figure out how they get their product ready and, and um, adapt it to the market, how they sell, and then how they can conduct proofs of concept and testing with established organizations. So we're kind of at the hub and saying, how can you create products, services, technology that will allow you to introduce something new or significantly improve what you have. On the leadership front, we work with individuals in teams to assess talents and skills and build on that with coaching and leadership development to make individuals the best leaders they can be. And then when it comes to inclusion, diversity, and uh, equity, we are very much focused on what we know to be the case. Today, lots going on. Companies are under a lot of pressure. They're making big commitments, for instance, in social and racial justice. Many leaders tell us uh, that they don't feel equipped to lead in this environment. And so that's what we do. We come in and we work with them, get them equipped to lead, help them figure out the things that will make a difference in their organization and help make it stick. That's what Pivot does. There was a lot there and a lot of really, really important stuff. Uh, I, I, took a, I took a few notes. Uh, so I really like that all the pivots are around people. Yes. Uh, and I so completely agree with you. I, I've been in insurance for 10 years. Uh, did a little bit of of everything, uh, never at the executive levels like the, like like what what you did yourself, uh, but but one thing that is definitely clear to me is how how stuck insurance companies are with their old technology, with with uh, being not the most diverse places in in, in the world, uh, or the diversity being stuck at the bottom. Right, and, and, and the entry level being very reflective of the communities they're served, but the leadership not so much. Uh, so there, there's a lot there. Uh, and, and then the insure tech side, you're absolutely correct. Like, like 
it is very hard for them unless they have uh, enough people internally that come from insurance. It's very hard for them to, to understand just how different insurance is, the long sales cycle, right. just how conservative insurance is. Uh, so so let, let's talk first first about about the about, about what, what you guys do for for insure techs uh, because yes. I, I think that is super interesting. So 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 if I have an, an insure tech, uh, and right we're 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 technology people and we have a, a tech hammer. We're looking for an insurance nail. Maybe we were smart enough and we do have a, a an insurance co-founder. Uh, who like I, I've seen insurance co-founders who were who were a product guy, uh, right? They they've never sold to the carriers. How can you help uh, a, an insure tech like that? Certainly. So um, we work with a number of insure techs, Tony, and we do it directly. We also do it through our partners like InsureTech New York, Insure, which is a nonprofit based in Boston, um, and other accelerators and incubators. Let's take an InsureTech that uh, has a great product and they've been working on it for a while. And maybe they have an insurance co-founder or someone from the insurance space or maybe not. Ultimately, they want to get this product in front of carriers uh, for testing and maybe adoption, maybe sale, right? When we come in to work with them, we take the time to understand who they are and what's important to them as a company, as founders as leaders in the organization. And we really understand what's their intention with this product. It's That alone can get you a variety of answers, but we work to make sure we've got consensus. And then we wanna understand what is it that you're selling? What product or service? Who are you targeting? What successes have you had? We work hard to understand the features of the product. And when we um, start the digging, we often will find that there can be some sticking points, maybe some misalignment to the market. Sometimes it's because there's a lot of technical focus on the engineering and building of this creation. Not as much focus on understanding the need and appetite in the market and the fit and the ability to translate what you've come up with and show benefit and value to your consumers. And so we step back and say, let's be really clear on who you're targeting. Who do you want to buy your product or service and why? Forget about what you think is sexy about it. What's the value that you're going to provide? And if it is that you're talking about incumbents, which would be carriers, brokers, venture capitalist or corporate venture capitalist, CVCs. In their world, why would they find this attractive? So how are you going to help them leapfrog in some way? Why should they pay any attention to you? And why should they invest time in testing or maybe adapting what you do? That conversation is so important because as you said up front, the language is different, the timeframes for decision-making are very, very different, right? The decision-making speed is very different, but you've got to make sure that you establish a cadence as an insure tech that matches up with your potential customers, understanding them, putting yourself in their world. So we help uh, insure techs to do that, a really rigorous review of their product, of the market that they're in, of their sales approach, and taking a hard look at their operational maturity. 
because carriers are looking for three things. They want a well-defined product, they want to see a sales pipeline, and they want to see now operational maturity as they think about partnering or potentially investing. So that means it's not that they're jumping in right now at the outset with a great idea. They want to see as an insure tech that you're able to run this organization as a company responsibly. And we on all three of those dimensions will help an insure tech to, to basically be able to scale and be attractive. Now, what that means is we will help them internally with standing up and becoming a more mature organization. But we also will help them understand what's important in the carrier world, which we all come from. And we will help them to design and engineer a proof of concept or a testing environment that can work with the carrier. So we work between the two. Um, so all of that is really about uh, taking them outside of just their world where they've created something good and being able to export their product. That's what we do with the InsureTech. Given the hundreds of insure techs that I've had conversations with, uh, whether for the yeah. podcast or for, the, or, for, or for different reasons, uh, that would be invaluable. I had no idea that this kind of service existed. Uh, I'm going I'm to be sending uh, founders your way for sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, because the, the competition is brutal. 1,700 insure techs out That's there, right? right? It's, it's overwhelming for, for any uh, carrier VP of innovation or, or CIO or, or whoever your you know, VP of claims or whoever your, your client is. It is uh, overwhelming, and, and they have to speak the language, and they have to put it in, in, in the language that, that the insurance people understand. So that's super helpful. And, and when you say that, that you all come from carriers, you don't just come from carriers. Like, like you, you come fr from a heck of a career in, 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 the, in the carrier space. Uh, I, I was wondering if you, if you could give us just, just a quick uh, summary of, of, of your experience, because you've had some, some really impressive titles in the carrier space. Sure. Uh, I would tell you that I started out in claims and uh, as I was an attorney at a large law firm, and then I went into um, progressive insurance and in one of their diversified businesses as a claims attorney, and it was commercial specialty coverages written on banks. So you had uh, DNL. Um, EPLI eventually, trust errors and omissions, bankers, blanket bond, any way a bank could sustain a loss. And so they brought in um, attorneys from large firms to handle these claims and reduce indemnity. And um, I, I loved the work. Over time, I moved to the business side, not planning to do it. But um, the organization had an appetite for taking people from a non-traditional path and moving them into P&L management. I had the appetite and raised my hand to do it, not really knowing what I was doing. But I worked with some amazing people who taught me uh, the actuarial side of the business, the quant side of the business, and also P&L management itself. And so ultimately, I uh, began um, managing P&L, um, kind of progressive style, if you will and uh, absolutely loved it and went to the Hartford where I did the same thing as a regional um, lead for P&L management and then VP of, of um, product and pricing there. And then uh, at the Hanover, uh, president of personal lines, and then at Encompass, uh, which is the independent agency business for Allstate, president of that business. 
and then at uh, AIG, uh, head of global agency, which is essentially uh, their retail sales business is how I would describe it, about seven and a half billion uh, operating in dozens of countries. So yes, it's, uh, I, I, I love insurance, uh, amazing people and organizations, and I, I'd like to think that I was able to make a difference in those organizations and continue to do so today. Uh, through mentoring and through relationships and on the other side uh, as clients working with them to look really hard at what they're doing and help them pivot and go in a different direction, especially around uh, innovation and talent. I, I especially like not, not only the, that you, you had those very impressive roles, but the variety of carriers, right? Like you touch carriers of very different types. So, so that that is very helpful nowadays for you to be able to, to advise uh, companies trying to interact with carriers because I can't imagine two carriers more different than Progressive and the Hartford. <laughs> then the Hartford and Hanover, th those are kind of similar traditional uh, carriers. Uh, and Compass, way different from anything before. Yeah. Uh, and then AIG, uh, way different, for, so like, like, like four very different, different types of carriers, basically. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very interesting pr progression. And, and I think that, 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 that uh, for, for those that, 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 are, that are watching, that, that are listening on the podcast side, you're not watching us on, on video, um, it, it's a little less stri strikingly interesting or, or obviously interesting. So we have myself, a, a Latino, and, and Cynthia's African-American. Uh, so... so VP of, of product, like, once you reach that VP, VP level at, at the Hartford in 2001, if, if the leadership at, at, the, at, the, at the Northeast carriers, or at most carriers really, today is incredibly white and male, I can only imagine 20 years ago. Uh, so, so I think this is a good transition point to, to the, the DNI work that you guys do for, for, for carriers, and, and I believe your book is, is in this side, right? Yeah, so the book is... Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that for a moment awesome. if you like, and then we'll transition to DNI. So the book is called Crossing Meridians, Engineering Disruption to Become a More Effective Leader. And it is about leadership development. I lay out a method. Uh, how is it that you go about uh, enhancing your skills to become a better leader? And it is uh, absolutely something that I, I'm passionate about. And I wrote the book, one, because I felt like I had something to say. Uh, after years of building, reshaping uh, organizations and leaders. And then two, I understood that, and, and that there has been and there is a gap around how people show up every day as individuals who bring all that they are. They don't have to become homogenized. They don't have to ask permission. They don't have to leave who they are at the door, but they come in as leaders and they build on the goodness of who they are and what they bring. Having people be very comfortable with that and very self-directed, I think is so important, especially in this industry. So that's the book. And uh, I do in the book talk about not just the method and the mindset of crossing meridians, moving from one place to the other through discomfort, but I also show how today companies are facing a number of pressing issues and social and racial justice among them. 
These companies are making a number of commitments around the platforms they're going to adopt, the partnerships in the community they're going to put in place, the things they're going to deliver. And I talk about how at the heart of the company's ability to deliver is having the leaders who are equipped to be able to deliver. And so I make the case for having leaders who have crossed meridians, who have learned through discomfort, who've crossed divides, who have put themselves in situations that are unfamiliar and unknown, and who have crafted core leadership skills grounded in resiliency and openness and empathy, and they use that to lead. I think those leaders are so important. If at all you're going to meet the commitments you're making around social justice and racial justice, you need people who are thinking expansively, who will lead with courage, who can see openly and expansively what the issues are and come to the table with solutions and different ways of thinking because their experience set allows them to think more broadly. And so there is a chapter in the book where I talk about that, uh, applying the method very directly to what individuals, teams, and enterprises can do as they're meeting the DEI challenges of today. I, I can only imagine, uh... So 2020, right? We we had we had the, the the COVID mess, and we had the the, the BLM uh, issues, and, and uh, I, I I can only imagine from the perspective of an insurance leader, uh, which I which I'm not. I serve them. I, I sell them staffing services and help them retain their millennials and and bring them great content via the podcast. But I can only imagine uh, at many many of the of the carriers, especially the kind of the medium size, like the regionals and the super regionals that 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 I, that I know. Uh, sitting at the, at, the, at the leadership table looking around and the only diverse person is your head of HR <laughs> and you have all of those issues happening outside, uh, it would be nerve-wracking. Uh, it's, it's, it's so good to, to know that, that there's somebody to, to help them. I wonder if, if, if there's any, any client stories, and I, and I completely understand if you, if you can't share the name of the company, but if there are any client stories that might be illustrative of, of, the, of the kind of change that, 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 that can happen once we, we engage you guys to, 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 help, uh, to help us become a, a, more, a more diverse leadership or, or to, to help us be a, a better leadership group. Yes. So let me just, yes, I will give you an example. And I also want to tell you what we did um, we've been doing this along the way, but especially after the murder of George Floyd. And we had honest conversations with leaders, peers who are running organizations, leading functions, about what we saw as the challenge. And we saw um, press release after press release and postings on websites about company commitments that were being made. And the question was very simple. Do you feel that you are equipped to lead in this environment? The resounding answer that we got across industries, including in insurance, was no. And leaders said, very honestly, I'm struggling. And they would talk about their own struggle. Leaders who, again, are leading companies and functions and divisions of companies. And, and here's what we heard Tony. One, I don't really understand the issues. Two, 
I don't feel equipped. I don't know enough personally. I don't have the knowledge base. Three, we've tried some things in our organization and I'm not sure if they worked. Four, I'm not sure where to go to solve some of these issues. I could go down the line, but the bottom line is that they're struggling. So I stepped back and said, well, what does that mean? And many talked about a focus over time on diversity. Much of that conversation for them was about representation, numbers, questions like, how do I know if I'm trying to increase my representation of people of color, what number I should shoot for? Like, is there a benchmark, right? So is there a national number or is it local? Those were the kinds of questions that you might get. What I have said to uh, organizations and clients is the conversation is about diversity and beyond. Equity and inclusion will allow you to take efforts that improve representation and move them into the DNA of your organization and drive the accountability that will give you different outcomes. That's a very different approach. So here's what I mean. Let's take, for example, an organization um, with, without naming them that has um, had questions from its board about ESG-related issues, so environmental societal governance. In the, the S part of it, the societal part of it, the questions have come up around what the organization is doing in a meaningful way uh, as a corporate citizen to um, address and put forward social justice-related initiatives. The board was very clear that it understood and has seen the work the organization has done around diversity, and it considered that work to be insufficient in meeting the needs of social justice in today's world. So they've got what they've done, and they've got now a greater obligation. Two-thirds of the people leading that organization did not agree that there needed to be focus on social justice. And what happens is you wind up with backdoor conversations and not much progress. The leader of the organization knows things have to shake loose, right? So you start with the leadership here. This is so critically important. They have to live it. They have to breathe it because they have to own it. And if you don't have that, the work goes nowhere. I mean, as I said to them, listen, customers are holding you accountable, right? They'll vote with their pocketbook. They vote with their values. So they are holding you accountable as an organization to one, having a point of view, to advancing progress and, and making sure it happens. So right now, you don't have a point of view. You're not making an advance. There's not progress. And they're not seeing some accountability. So if you don't have your leaders believing you should do this, you're going to spend a lot of time and effort, and you're going to be talking out of both sides of your mouth. So it's most important that you have the belief and the alignment with the senior most leadership group 
before you started drafting documents about what it is you were going to do that quite honestly became platitudes because there wasn't substance behind it. So in all of this work, I would say to you that it has to be at the highest level of the organization that you believe in equity, inclusion, and diversity. You have to test your organization, a pulse read, to really know if they believe it, starting with your senior most leaders, but also moving across the organization. Because if you are serious about this, you're not, as I said, going to focus just on representation. Here's what I mean. You're going to understand as a vice president in the organization that you have um, people of color who are traumatized by what they're seeing on television. If you're dialing back to last year, you're going to understand that you have people who are not people of color in your workforce who are incredibly passionate about not accepting what's been seen and making change happen. You have individuals who have question marks about what all of this means. And some want information, others want to know what they can do to help. When you have all of these questions, as a leader, let's take the vice president, you cannot ignore it. So what do you do? I have seen leaders who outright ignored it, did not invite conversation and acted like the outside world had no impact on the inside world. On the other extreme, I've seen leaders who have said, we have customers who come from every walk of life. We wanna support our customers. We wanna line up with them. And we have a larger obligation as corporate citizens to do good. So we're going to figure this out and we invite you, our workforce, to help us do that. And then I've seen things in between. You can tell I'm very passionate about this because what I've seen is that maybe it's at the top that you begin it. You have to get alignment. If you don't understand that it has to permeate every layer of your organization, you're going to miss something and you have to work hard to make that happen. That means your leaders at every level need to be equipped. Your employees need to know that you're engaged, that you care, that you are listening, you want to know what they're thinking. It may not be that you have an answer, but you give them a venue for expressing how they're thinking. Your providers that touch your business and support it need to also embody everything that you're thinking. If they don't, they shouldn't be working with you. So you've got to inspect what you expect. Anyone that is supporting your business and in your ecosystem needs to be a supporter of what you're doing. That means they need to be aware, they need to be educated, they need to be trained, they need to be equipped. And then you need to hold people accountable. You need to go back and make sure that you're checking that things are happening differently. Attitudes are different. Conversations are different. Delivery is different. Engagement is different. All of that matters when you're serious. And by the way, Tony, it doesn't happen in six months because you're talking about a culture change. So if it's going to be that we believe we have a social justice platform, that we've got a major DEI focus in this organization, and it's both going to show up in our strategy and in our operations, and that our folks believe it and we hire for it, 
If you believe all of that and the customers tangibly know that it's making a difference, it takes time. But you do need to be intentional. So thank you for asking this. I have a lot of passion around it. And there is no magic bullet. But yes, we do work with clients. We understand where they are. And it's being really honest about that. And then understanding where they want to go. And uh, interjecting challenge and perspective and helping them to get there. There's about uh, 2,500 PNC carriers in the U.S. About 2,492 of them <laughs> desperately need help on this. Uh, I, I imagine you've had a busy year. Uh, I, I am wondering, uh, so, so I've read a lot uh, about, about how the, the business case for diversity, inclusion, and equity, and, and it's, it's kind of well documented, my understanding, that truly it's not only the right thing to do, it's also the right long-term profitable thing to do for, 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 for the business. So I, I, I'm curious if, if you're finding that most insurance carriers that, that, are, that are reaching out, of course, you have, you have a bias sample to begin with because the ones that are reaching out, right, uh, the ones that at least know they need help, are you finding that, that at the board and C-level, they, they already understand that, that it's not just an ethical issue, but that, it's a, that, that there's a business case? Or do you have to come in and present the business case for diversity? Uh, it's mixed. Uh, most often, I would say, folks um, start with saying, we know it's a business issue. But the shaping of that knowledge is important. So what informs them around it being a business issue? How broad or narrow, based on what information? And when you take that information and turn it into something that you're going to do, it matters. So we really do, a, a, again, a pulse read to understand what is informing your view that um, it's a business imperative. If, and there are some instances where leaders do not believe that it's a business imperative. Uh, one, they don't believe it. Two, they believe that there are other things in place that are taking care of this, so nothing else is needed. There are a variety of things, right? Okay. So that you need to know because um, in that instance, you, in some instances you're talking about behavior modification, which we do not do. Oh, interesting. Right. Interesting. And, 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 and real quick, so, so I'm guessing that in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's whether they believe it or not, it's basically uh, the, the latest McKinsey paper and, and the latest HBR article on last, last month's magazine made a case that, it's a, that, that it really is, is, is a business necessity. And that's as far as we are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is, and I, I think the case is pretty straightforward. I, and the conversation that I have is, okay, tell me who your customers are, and let's talk about the demographic of those individuals today, and by the way, in the next 10 years and 20 years, as you're looking at your opportunity to grow your markets. That, that is so important, right? right? We, we live in a country with, with rapidly changing demographics. Right, uh, so that, that's changing. And if that's the case, you wanna have the best matchup, the best knowledge about your customers, the best knowledge about what your customers want, need, and will pay for, how it is that you're going to sell to them, how it is that you're gonna ensure that they stay with you, right? And all of that really matters. So that's just when you talk about customers. But you also have to think more broadly about 
DEI because it's the environment in which you do business. So you, you don't do it in a vacuum. So just as your customers decide to come to you and stay to you, they're making decisions every day about other others that are approaching them, your competitors. And so if you have competitors that resonate with them more than you, then guess what? You're vulnerable. And um, in this space, that may very well be the case. So again, you don't operate in a vacuum and the communities in which you are providing your services, having your offices located, where your employees live, those communities need and expect an organization to be responsive when it comes to ensuring there is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So there's a 360 view of this mm -hmm. that um, organizations have to take, and it's not just, I in my C-suite position believe this is important. Great, okay, let's validate that. And, and for all the reasons I'm talking about, it really is that you have to look inside and outside and you have to ensure that you're looking across the organization and you have to look at the capabilities of the people that are leading this because one, if they don't believe it, and two, if they're not equipped, it's not gonna go anywhere. Um, er, very early in the conversation, you, you mentioned the uh, accountability. And when we said accountability, I, I, my mind immediately went to, to it, it has to be part of, of your, the way you're measured. It has to be part of, of the way you're compensated at, at, the, at the very highest levels, right? If, 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 if the VPs and, and C-level doesn't, regardless of how much the CEO talks about this being important, if they don't get measured on it, I can't imagine it, it actually, the needle being moved. Yes. Uh, are, 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 so I, I think that you, you said that you, you can help them create those measurements. Uh, yes. And let it, me tell you something about measurements, Tony, because uh, any, the measurements are important and that drives accountability. The leadership in an organization also will drive the accountability. So, so it's measurements plus, and here's what I mean. If hypothetically you said, guess what? Uh, when we take a look at our mid-level managers, we see that um, we just don't have people of color, right? It's happening in our hiring, but not as they matriculate. So we've got some issues. And at the same time, we've, we have some goals and we're going to be uh, investing in the organization, but we're going to have the next layer of managers and the next layer held accountable for ensuring that this changes. It's going to show up in their goals. And what will happen is there will be some number probably that's put in their goals, right? So what I say to the organization is you want to have, you know, of course, goals that are smart ones, right? But in this instance, what will happen is people have a learning curve that then turns into action, that turns into impact. And so I'm looking for accountability that tells me there are early signals that someone gets it, that they're accountable and responsible, and they're taking the steps. So I'm looking for all of those things. I just don't want to see a number at the end of the year. As a leader, I'm looking at the early indicators. I've got my radar up. I want to know, have you expanded your sourcing? I want to know what you're doing with your leaders to ensure that they are developing leaders and giving feedback, that they have timely conversations with them. I want to know that we are 
truly calibrating whether we have a career path in the organization and whether we have impediments for all of our employees to be able to move through. All of these things begin to tell you, do you have an organization that is serious about movement and they're taking the actions to get there? So you just don't wind up assessing a number or a range of numbers for someone's job evaluation. And, and that's really, really important. This is how you begin to shift the culture because you're shifting the skills and the competencies of your leaders and you're looking really closely to see what's changing. What are we doing differently? Are we doing things that are stretching us? Are we making progress? And you have to keep an eye on that. And so clearly, culture change is not a matter of six months, as, as you said earlier. That's right. Um, is, is it, I mean, ultimately, it, it, it has to be continuous. But is it, this is the kind of thing where can we turn the Titanic around in two years, in five years? Uh, wh when might be, we be, you know, we, we bring in help, we have C level support. Uh, right, it's the CEO himself that, that, that called you in or the board that called you in. Uh, how long does it take for, for that culture change to be felt in the organization? And, and, for, for, and, and probably a separate question, how long does it take for, for that culture change to be durable? Uh, I would say to you, and this is not a cop-out, Tony, but I, I think there's no magic amount of time, and it depends on every organization. Um, having it felt and having it stick, two different things. Both will depend on who from the highest level in the organization is the sponsor and really believes in it and believes that something different needs to happen, number one. Number two, is the organization seeing this as part of their strategy? That means that they believe that this is an investment over a four or five year horizon that's important. They're going to overweight and overinvest in order to make something happen. And that's in the fabric of the organization. So it's not on the side, it's embedded in their core strategy. That's important. And then you've got to see how much autonomy are you giving to people to make some things happen? People have amazing ideas about what could work. Give them room to try some things. And that's where you see some of the best creativity, some of the best innovative thinking that moves the issue here around equity, inclusion, and diversity. So those things all determine at the beginning whether um, it's gonna get some traction whether it's going to be accelerated and whether it sticks. So it depends so much on what it is that you're working with and the commitment uh, within that organization. Make, makes perfect sense. Uh, we're running out of time, but Cynthia, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Uh, thank you. When it goes live, uh, I will tag you on LinkedIn so, so people yes. will be able to see your LinkedIn. What, it, what right. is the best way to, to, to get a hold of you? Should, should they add you on LinkedIn? Uh, should they go to the website and fill out a form? Or what, what's the best way to make contact? So email me at Cynthia at pivotglobal.com. Call me, my cell number, 404-980-3345. Tag me on LinkedIn. I'm Cynthia Hardy. You can't miss me. And uh, I'm also on all of the social channels, uh, Cynthia Hardy, so you'll see me on uh, Instagram and Facebook and 
any other place where people are, including Clubhouse these days. So, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, many times I, during the show, I pause a guest and 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 and, and I go, uh, hold hold on for the younger listeners, and then I, I translate something from insurance to English. In this case, I, I kind of feel that like like I have to do the opposite. I have to be like for the executives in the audience. <laughs> Clubhouse is this crazy app. <laughs> Where your kids and younger employees are having not recorded audio-only conversations. That's uh, right. Sometimes with celebrities, sometimes among, among themselves. <laughs> well, we are uh, hosting sessions on Clubhouse about the book. Uh, we have, um, you'll see videos uh, on TikTok, 15-second video about us and about the book. I mean, we go where people are, right? And so... Um, we know that people consume information in different ways, but our message is really simple. We help people and organizations get unstuck and go in a different direction around innovation, leadership, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So call us. Call me. I'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to work with you. And, Tony, I, I really thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much for coming. It's, it's, it's been fantastic.